0: My name is Steve Fitzallan, I'm the Senior Minister here at Door of Hope, and I know people have been invited this morning to church. First of all, can I just say to you, thanks so much for uh, taking up that challenge and coming along to church this morning. I've met new people here already this morning, people who are visiting from interstate. I think I saw Emily Furlow, is that right? She's here this morning. Welcome from Queensland and other people from around our nation. You may be beaming in from wherever across our nation or across the nations this morning, live, online. Can we welcome those who are participating? online this morning and those who are here. Thank you. Well, we're in part two as we've already been shared with here this morning of uh, this series entitled A Portrait of Paul. If you have your Bibles here this morning, feel free to uh, open those up uh, or your smartphone. Simply go to the YouVersion app and uh, type in Door of Hope there at the appropriate link and uh, you'll be able to follow through with the service this morning. Beyond the person of Jesus Christ, Paul had a profound, significant influence on this world. The author of 13 books of the New Testament, uh, letters, of course, that were personal and very passionate, uh, creative and compelling, and, and sometimes a little controversial, I think it would be safe to say that Paul's letters have generated more comments, more sermons and impact and discussions and seminars than any other writings that have come from the ancient world. And of course, his writings help shape our theology, our understanding of who God is. And of course, Paul... As a, a, a dominant figure, isn't he? A dominant figure in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, which we're about to open up this morning. I love the book of Acts. Anyone else here this morning love the book of Acts? And so his conversion, as we're about to explore, was, is considered to be the most important event in the early church, falling behind the Holy Spirit who empowered the believers. And what we're trying to do in these next couple of weeks, and last week Danny started with us, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to get online and be brought up to speed with the introduction there. We're trying to humanize Paul a little bit. Um, What I mean by that is sometimes we elevate, uh, you know, he wasn't a divine kind of character. He was a chosen character, of course, uh, person, but we're trying to humanize Paul a little bit to help us understand who, what, and how he went about uh, his ministry and his life. And so we open to Acts chapter 9, which the reading was just brought to us here this morning, and it's entitled, Saul's Conversion. I want to be very clear here this morning, I'm going to be focusing on the character of Saul. And of course, Saul's name changed to Paul, Acts chapter 13, by the way. So I'm not quite there yet, all right, with Paul. So I'm going to stay with Saul in Acts chapter... Be very clear, to save confusion, it's the same person, right? It's the same person. So let's bring a bit of context to what we're about to get in here this morning, because this is a huge turning point, both in the book of Acts and in the history of the church. Let's break down the book of Acts just for a moment, if we could. Because the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 to chapter 8, the primary character is Peter. Peter. And Philip comes into there a little bit. But Peter is proclaiming the gospel primarily to the Jews. And we, we come across chapter 9 and there's a shift. There's a transition. And it's the conversion of Saul. Where the focus of the gospel is no longer just on the Jews. But it's on the Gentiles. The Gentile is what? The Gentiles are non-Jewish people. But the Jews are the chosen people of God. The chosen people of God are the Jews. And the Gentiles have to become Jews first before they become followers. And Paul says, no, no, that's not the case. That's not the case in Galatians, as he wrote to the church there in chapter 3, verse 28. He says, no, no, no. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile no slave or free, no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. What he's saying here, it's not about your heritage, it's about your heart, yeah? It's not about your past, it's about your future, and he died for you all. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The book of Acts, let's just talk about that just for a moment if we could. The book of Acts. What do we see in the book of Acts? As you look f- uh, through the chapters, we start off with the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We then move into well, the early church, of course, in Acts chapter 2. The early church being formed, we see Pentecost, which was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the believers. We see the formation of the church under Peter, under Peter, uh, we see the growth of the church, incredible growth, 3,000, 8,000. Then we see persecution of the church. Then we see the church, uh, the, the gospel message spread from where? From Jerusalem, yeah, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. Very good. And so the conversion of Paul, this is, this is crucial, the conversion of Paul was the hinge on which the future of the church turned. And because of the massive importance of his conversion, it was a unique conversion (laughs) because he is a unique individual. So by birth, Paul saw a Jew, by conviction, a Pharisee, by citizenship, and this is a little unusual, a Roman, I'll get to that just in a moment, by education, a Greek, by grace, a Christian. And so let's just think about Paul's life for a moment, come back to Saul in a moment. A missionary, incredible missionary of God. Um, traveling significant miles, or in our case, kilometers, around 20,000 kilometers in which Paul covered in his missionary journey. A theologian, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a leader, a thinker, a statesman, a fighter, and a lover of Jesus. Has there been any other like him? And so, as we approach the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9, we have to remember, in fact, we've already, we've already met him. Danny spoke briefly into this last week in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, in the story of Stephen. In fact, it's the stoning of Stephen, and the story unfolds where they laid their robes, those people who were throwing stones at Stephen, They laid their robes at Saul's feet so they could kill Stephen with the rocks. You remember that story, yeah? So they could kill Stephen. So clearly, Saul orchestrated, this would suggest to us that Saul orchestrated the killing of Stephen. Let's take Let's take a look at Acts chapter 8 before we get into chapter 9. It goes like this, just a couple of verses, Acts chapter 8, where it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout, where? Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. It's this next bit. But Saul... Began to destroy the church. How? By going from house to house. This is what he did. You believe what he did here? He dragged men and women and he put them in prison. With his sheer force of leadership, with his sheer force of passion, Saul um, became the leader of a movement to stamp out Christianity. And he would hunt them down, literally hunt them down, and he was not satisfied until they were dead. Which led him on this trip to Damascus, a journey that would not just change his world, but would change the world. A journey to Damascus. Years later, let's go to the end of the sorry, the, the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26, because Paul writes a testimony. We just had Paul up here a moment ago. Uh, he shared his testimony. The, the apostle Paul also shares his testimony in Acts chapter 26, and it says this. Check this out. This is years later. He says, I too was what? Convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth and that is just what i did and i did it in jerusalem on the authority of the chief priest which he got authority to do i put many of the lord's people in prison and when they were put to death i cast my vote against them many a time i went from one synagogue to another to have them what punished and i tried to force them to blaspheme i was so obsessed this is his testimony I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Hunted them down in foreign cities. This is animalistic behavior. There's a couple of questions I'd like to consider before we move forward. Three particular questions I'd like us to consider. And it's this. What was Saul like before Damascus? That's the first thing I'd like to talk about this morning. What happened on the road to Damascus? And what did God have for Saul to do? There are just a couple of questions I'd like to, just to consider before we, as we move forward here this morning. Is that alright? Is anyone awake here this morning? Are you with me this morning? Is this alright? Fantastic. The next thing I'd like for us to consider is this. I'd like to break it down. Where are we going to see his conversion? We're going to see his obedience, and we're also going to see his service, his conversion, where he trusted in Jesus as his saviour. We're going to see his obedience in what it meant to follow Jesus, and also his service, his ministry, what he was going to do. First of all, what is it that we know about Saul? Let's establish that first. Going on a little bit from last week from Danny, is that we know that Saul grew up in Tarsus. Uh, Tarsus was, in fact, a very well-known city for a number of reasons, but a a pretty big uh, thing that is recognized for us was for its university. Uh, It's in the top three. In the top three universities uh, was in in Tarsus, uh, apart from Athens and in Egypt. Um, uh, um, uh, Saul was, of course, uh, he was Jewish. Um, His father, this was a little unusual, his father was a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew, and he was a Pharisee. And so this is where Saul inherited this tradition. So Saul was born with Roman citizenship. What does that mean? He was born with privileges. And so it's assumed that he was named Saul after the first king of Israel. And his story would go on as he would grow and mature and become a very well-known um, custom, uh, a common industry um, in Tarsus at that particular time he'd become a tent maker and uh, at the age of thirteen, uh, when you considered a man, he was sent from Tarsus to Jerusalem and because of that he would study, he would study uh, Judaism at the highest level under a rabbi Danny mentioned him last week. His name was Gamaliel and by the way, Gamaliel was so revered, so revered as a teacher he was called... The beauty of the law. The beauty of the law. Gamaliel, rabbi, teacher. And so what we have here is we have the top student under the top rabbi, under the top teacher. And this meant years of mentoring. This meant years of debating and arguing of the Old Testament. And he received the top religious training you could possibly get kind of summarize Saul, he he was brilliant. He was a brilliant mind. And he was very motivated, by the way. A Pharisee who lived by the Bible, what that means. A Pharisee who lived by the rules and the laws and the regulations simply to please God. Which meant he knew Hebrew law. He knew Roman law. He spoke Hebrew, he spoke Greek, he became an expert in Judaism, he became an expert in the Old Testament. and so he knew about Jesus, but he didn 't believe in Jesus. In fact, what he believed about Jesus is that Jesus was, in fact a fraud, a fraud, like many of course did in jesus' day and so the system in which Saul would work to was that works system, the Mosaic law, where um, it gets you to God by following rules and regulations. And so as we look to chapter nine in the book of Acts, there's a shift, there's a transition that's occurring here. And check this out. Check this out. Just before we do, let's remember, let's remember what Saul is doing here. Saul is leading the persecution. And he's going into what? He's going into homes, and he's taking both men and women, and he's putting them in where? Prison, yeah? Because he hates the followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to take this apart. That Bible reading that was read to us before. It says this, "'Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats.'" Sounds like a lovely young man, doesn't it? "'Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples.'" He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, by the way, just press pause there for a moment, this is the early term to describe Christianity. The term, the way, is in fact used more in scripture than the words Christianity is. And so this is the word for the way. Most possibly coming from John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am... The way, the truth, and the life, all right? So the way, the early term to describe Christianity. Um, Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, which kind of suggests that he didn't go alone here. There was a force with and behind him to help him with this. Let's just go back. What does it say? Paul was breathing out murderous threats. As you look at the original language here, what he's trying to describe to us here as he goes in and takes men and women into prison is like a war horse going into battle. He is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and he's on his way to Damascus. Let's think about Damascus. We've already talked about Tarsus. Let's talk about Damascus just for a moment. Coming on from Danny last week once again. Damascus is considered as paradise on earth. It was beautiful. It was a lovely city in a green forested area of plains and trees. Paradise on earth. It was north of Jerusalem, about... About two hundred and twenty kilometers north of Jerusalem, some of you I know who's been there. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, some of you've been there. Um about one hundred and fifty thousand people estimated. One hundred and fifty. So this is a large city we're talking about, where Paul's on his way to, and in this city it was a large Jewish population. And uh, there were many Christians and also many synagogues. The synagogue is where the Jewish people met in worship. Um, And it was likely at this particular time that Christians had not yet separated from the synagogues. Let's keep going with the story. Verse 3 continues. This is Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Let's keep in mind, he's got no idea in this particular time what has just hit him. And he's slowly starting to wake up to the fact that he's at the feet of Jesus. Not just that. He's at the glory of Jesus. What does this mean? This is the best version possible. The best version possible of Jesus that's shining a light in his eyes. By the way, the repetition of the name, we've heard that before. When you hear a name repeated twice, you know God's trying to get your attention, right? Or he says, Saul, Saul. It's a bit like Simon, Simon. (laughs) It's a bit like Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And it's also a little bit like Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Me, why does Jesus make this so personal? Why doesn't Jesus say, Why are you persecuting my people? So, why does Jesus make it so personal? Here's why when God's people suffer in scripture, um. The church is painted as, as a, we've got somebody as the head of the church, and the, the, the head of the church has a, has a body, right? And so the head of the church is Jesus, Jesus. The head of the church is Jesus. And the body, the body, the believers, the believers. And we're connected, the body and the head. If something happened to your foot like we got a few blisters yesterday, didn't we, Katie? No, you didn't. I did. Very good. We did a bit of a run yesterday. A half marathon. Thank you very much. Katie's first half marathon. Congratulations, Katie. And so when you get a blister, your head knows about it. Yeah? Your head knows, oh, that, that hurt. That 21 kilometers, that hurt. Guess what? It hurt Jesus. When the body suffers it's felt in heaven why are you hurting me soul soul why are you hurting me you see it's inseparable he's inseparable from his people and because of that it's felt in heaven don't ever think by the way don't ever think that Jesus is cut off from the life of his church that he's safe up in heaven sitting at the right hand of the father some of you need to hear this this morning he is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. Connected to you in incredible ways. He's with you, he is for you, and he wants the best, and he's made it personal. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? Why are you persecuting me? The story goes on. Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He's not yet even sure who he is looking at. What did he say? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Let's come back. What did I say before? How was Saul trained? He was trained in the best way possible. He knew it. He knew it all. He knew it all. He knew it all. He had the knowledge. He had the training. He had the understanding. He had the experience. He had done it all. Yet he has no idea who the real God is. You see, isn't it? It's one thing to know about God. But it's another thing to really know God. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The story goes on. Here's his his reply. He says this, I am am Jesus. Do you get that? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so... He's captured his attention, right? He's captured his attention. He's got his attention. And in that moment, he realized that he's been fighting. He's been fighting against God. He's been fighting against God. The one who died is truly alive. This is truly the Messiah. His life is shattered in the sorrow of his sin and he finds himself broken. Broken. In repentance, because the truth has set him free, that this was the Son of God, the Messiah. His doubts have been erased, and I think, I think, right there, I think, right there, Saul trusted in Jesus Christ as his savior. But as he goes to Damascus, we've got to understand that he goes as a saved man. He goes from uh, uh, from wanting to persecute the way to belonging to the way. Press pause there for a moment. Your conversion, maybe for for those who have experienced conversion here this morning, may not be as dramatic as that, but it's still just as powerful, isn't it? It's just as powerful, just as as beautiful, as grace-filled... It's still just powerful. By the way, I know people who have experienced, who have had their Damascus Road experience in incredible places, not just in a setting like this, but incredible places. And, and so your, your conversion is just as powerful. Who are you, Lord? Saul asks, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, so this is his conversion. His conversion. Let's go on to the second thing. This is, this is his com- obedience. His being. What is he going to do? Because... Of his conversion. Verse 6, now get up and go into the city, Jesus says, and you will be told what you must do. But I want to know right now. You don't understand. You need to tell me now. I need to have the answers now. No, 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 no. You'll need to go, you'll need to, you are, you're told what you must do, but you need to go into the city. Here is why he didn't give him the answers right now. Some of us might relate to this, is, and it's this, is that Jesus was preparing Saul for the work that he was calling him to do. Didn't fully understand, didn't fully know what he was about to be a part of. Now, we certainly know what he's, what he's done But there's a lot to get done in Saul's life. First of all, in these next few days, before he's sent out, there's a lot of breaking down of pride, a lot of building up of humility in Saul's life to be done, a lot of development of patience and faith before he was ready to be sent out on mission from God. This is what Jesus was doing in his life. He was being prepared. And Paul Uh, Paul Hayes, who stood up here a moment ago, he and I had not connected on this, and he touched on it, and it's this. Some of us need to hear this, and it's this. The waiting time is not wasted time. Hmm. You see... As God works in our hearts, as God works in our circumstances, I love the word sovereign, that he is sovereign. He reigns over everything, and that's what we've got to trust, that he has control, that he's lining things up, not just things. Sometimes he's lining people up, and he's lining things up in other people's hearts, and we have to trust his timing that his timing is best, and sometimes that means waiting. And so God God has Paul's attention, and he's waiting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7 and 9, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see what? Nothing. So they led him by the hand. This is a humbling experience, right? Being led, you cannot see, Paul, you will need to take a step here, you'll need to step around this, you'll need to to walk, etc. That's a humbling experience. But it's also humbling to know that when you take Jesus by the hand, you are no longer the number one deal that he is. And you look to his hand, you look to his life, you look to his work for guidance as he guides you into your future. And this is what Saul was experiencing. The story goes on into Damascus. For three days, how many days? For three days, he was blind and did not what? When was the last time you went without food and drink for three days? In fact, I don't think anyone in this place would be able to put their hand up. happy to be wrong. I won't go there just at the moment. But this was a serious change of plans. That's what I'm getting at. This is a serious change of plans for Saul. Do we understand that as we move further into into the story? Um, Before we do, uh, he's in shock here. He's in absolute shock. He is shattered and he's encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, not in Damascus. But what does he do for three days? He's got a lot to think about. He's got a lot to process. He knew nothing of his future. He's trying to figure out what he was, what he is, and what he's going to do. This is total devastation of everything that he was. And according to Philippians chapter 3, all that he considered was was precious is now considered garbage. That I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ, he says to the church in Philippi. So he's stunned. He's helpless and he's friendless. Those who were friends and now he's enemy. He's got a lot to think about in these next three days, right? He's got a lot to consider. By the way, by the way, this was not the blindness of darkness that he was experiencing. This was the blindness of a bright light. This was the, the, the brilliance of a blazing sun of God. The brilliance of the blazing sun. And here's what happens in these three days. And this is specific. Specific. Check how specific this was. Check this out. Verse 10 it says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named so God's aligning people up. There's a disciple named Ananias. God's getting Paul Saul prepared to become Paul, the apostle. Check this out. The Lord called to him in a vision. There's two visions. This is the first: Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Press pause there for a moment. If you Google map that, it is still there today. Damascus Straight Street. It's another name. And most likely that's where it was to all the theologians out there. Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is what? Praying. This is the first mark of true conversion. (laughs) He is praying. What an example. What an example. He's praying, and he certainly knew how to pray, but he's now praying. He's now praying. He's leaning in to his master and his savior, and this is where the transformed life reaches out to God. He's a new man. God is in control, and God has a plan for his life. This is the second part of the vision in this passage, where it says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I love, I love Ananias' um, reply here. He's a little concerned because he knows what Saul uh, has been up to in the past. And so he's giving God some, um, uh, some instructions, some counsel. And so check this out. He says, this is Ananias, um, I have... Uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with, um, yeah, with, authority, with authority from the chief priest to arrest who call on your name. You know what's, what's nice to say? Thanks, but no thank. there's, there's got to be a better solution here, God. There's got to be a better solution. So we looked at his conversion, yeah? We looked at his obedience. And let's go to the third thing, his service. What has God set Paul apart to do? Verse 15, the story goes on. But the Lord said to Ananias, but the Lord, go, he says, this man is my... Imagine Ananias hearing this just for a moment. Chosen instrument, are you Something's going on. Saul is your chosen instrument to what to, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, not the Jews. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles, the, the non Jews, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. A twofold ministry. This is what Saul's going to do. He's going to proclaim, and he's going to suffer. Proclaim and suffer. To share the good news, but also suffer as he shares the good news. First of all, proclaim. Let's talk about that for a moment. He's chosen instrument. If you look at the original language, it actually means his elect vessel. His elect vessel. Saul was God's elect vessel. To learn for Ananias to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that This man, a killer of Christians, is now a chosen instrument. Isn't it the same for you and I sometimes? Come on. Come on. When we have seen, what we have seen in people, something that is so awful to think that God would save them And Ananias is struggling with this. What Ananias wants is very similar to what you and I want. He wants revenge over redemption. That's what Ananias wants. And let's be honest, sometimes that's what you and I also want. So, the first part of Saul's calling is to what? Is to proclaim. The second part, we'd like to delete this one out of Scripture, wouldn't we? Let's throw that one away. We don't like this one. Suffer. Suffer. According to 2 Corinthians 11, once again, Paul wrote to the church there, and this is where the hunter becomes hunted. <laughs> and so we survived assassin attempts, imprisonments, shipwrecks, the list goes on. This guy suffered for the kingdom of God. But guess what? We, Christ followers, are called to do the same. Philippians chapter 129, I'm going to support it by Scripture, not just from me. Philippians 129, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, we'll just leave it at that, we'll leave it at that, but also to suffer for Him. And we talked about this a couple of years ago when Danny spoke to us, didn't he, about suffering. Us Aussies, we don't like to suffer. We like our comfort, don't we? I like comfort. I like a bit of comfort. We don't like comfort suffering. We like our comfort here in Australia, of course, other parts of the world. Christians are tortured, Christians are imprisoned, Christians are separated from their family, Christians suffer. What does suffering look like to us here in Australia? It might look like a little frown, a smirk, or being unfriended on social media. The point is, the point is, is that we are called to the same thing, to witness, and as as much as I wouldn't want to put this on anyone, possibly, to proclaim, to witness, but also to, to suffer. Faith requires pain, because it makes us stronger. And we've got to remember that he suffered first, and although suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. Romans 8, 28. For God... All things according to His goodness. I've lost it, sorry. What is it, Sandy? All things work together for good. There it is, thank you. All things work together for good for those who... Love the Lord according to his purpose, etc., etc. Romans 8, 28, thank you. Sometimes that happens up here, by the way, when you're up here and thanks for your patience and thanks for understanding that. you kind of, boo, there's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah. Where was I? Okay. Let's let's bring this home. Um, God used Paul uh, incredibly, didn't he? And it was more than just legend status. It was legacy It was a legacy that really mattered. Um, Cathedrals across the world, hospitals, um, uh, um, churches, of course, and, of course, millions of lives impacted, um, left by his legacy of changed lives, Verse 17, the story, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. This is a change of things. Saul, so Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did, what did Ananias call Saul? called him brother. That's, that's a quick change of mind, isn't it? Yeah, it's because he's in the family of God. It's the family of God. It's a child of God. It's a brother. Brother. Brother Saul. And a heavenly father. story finishes. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. This is another marker of conversion. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus and have not yet been baptized, there's an opportunity coming up. Feel free to make yourself known to our team. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by... What? Proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul goes from persecuting to preaching Christ to proving it in the synagogues. press pause, how do you How do you prove it? How do you prove it? You prove it one way only. <laughs> Through the Old Testament. Was Saul a scholar? Wasn't he a scholar in the old? Didn't he understand the Old Testament? That's how, that's how Saul went on to prove it. The only place to go is the Old Testament. He he was one of the best trained in it. Judaism, all he knew about the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And he went on and proved it. Every city he pretty much went into, he would start a revival or he would start a riot. And sometimes it would be both. Incredible story of transformation. As Paul Hayes stood up here, his life has been transformed by this same Jesus. And so as we find out here this morning, he fought to conquer Christianity, but Christ conquered him and it changed everything. It changed everything. And maybe for you this morning, you've come here not knowing what this was about, sing a few songs and stories and things like that. But I just wanna speak to you just this morning and I can also say, if Paul was here this morning and he would stand on stage, he would say something like this to you. Sir, Madam, if he did it in me, he can do it in you. Amen? Amen. I love uh, one more verse. Um, Philippians chapter 1 says, For me to live is Christ. This is what he would write to the church. In other words... He's saying, Jesus is now my life. And that's transformational. May our lives count for Jesus. May our lives leave a legacy as we proclaim in this fragile and uncertain world. Let me pray for us as we stand in a moment and sing our final song. Father, we uh, thank you for helping us understand uh, in an amazing way How you transform lives. We thank you for the story of Saul, who turned eventually into Paul. Thank you for the truth, that the truth sets us free. It's transformational. From being a hater of Christ, a hater of the church, to a lover of Christ and his church. Thank you for the transforming work of the gospel in our own lives. And we pray that you would help us to live visibly transformed lives. And even today, even right now, even these next few moments, by grace, that somebody in this place would encounter you. That you would shine your light upon the darkness within their life. That you would make Christ known in their life, wherever they are sitting across this auditory. And I pray right now for those who have not yet put their faith in you. That you would give them the faith to surrender right now. To believe in the one who gave his life upon the cross. To confess that sin once and for all. That they would pray a little prayer like this. Father, would you help me? Would you clean me? Would you come into my life and forgive me? Because I need you. I want to know you. And I invite you in right now. Help make sense of all of this and so much more. I pray it in Jesus' name. Fill us each now, Lord, with your spirit. Grant us passion to say, Jesus is my life. And help us, Lord. What is it you want us to do? In Jesus' name. Amen.